As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. You're listening to Carrie Lutz's Financial Survival Network, where you get valuable information you just can't find anywhere else. To thrive in today's trying times, you need the Financial Survival Network, now more than ever. Go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com and get your free newsletter and gift. Financial Survival Network, now more than ever. And welcome. You are listening to the Financial Survival Network. I'm Kerry Lutz. Well, uh, if you've been watching the crypto space, it seems to be imploding before our very eyes. You know, when you have finance, when you have a period of expansion with uh, limited regulation or the regulation regulators kind of sit on their hands and watch everything unfold, this type of thing is not surprising. But we wanted to get a very close up and uh, really kind of unique perspective. So we've got uh, David T. Ackerman with us. David, you're an attorney, author, uh, FINRA, worked for FINRA, FINRA arbitrator, if I have that right. And uh, hey, you're also uh, work with a mobile coin. So hey, first, tell us. You got to explain to us, how did this fraud happen exactly? How did all the money disappear? So, I mean, how much time do we have? About three and a half, four hours? Give (laughs) Give Um, us the condensed version. (laughs) So at a high level, um, and it's interesting because Sam Bankman-Fried hasn't been actually charged with anything yet. But but at a very, very high level, what we're seeing is, truthfully, it's the same story, different players. You have a lot of information that is being condensed into one, two, three different major players. And when that happens, typically speaking in the equities world, so when you're dealing with stocks in the US and things like that, um, exchanges like the NASDAQ and NYSE have a tremendous amount of rules that are built around what exchanges can and cannot do, how they can use that information, what they can see, et cetera. In the crypto world, outside of certain um, areas, 
you don't have those same protections. So people, whether knowingly or unknowingly, would engage with FTX International and and not truly understand the the risks associated with what they were doing. So you have this very big multinational institution that had very little oversight, very little um, regulation that's directly attached to it, and a whole swath of people using it. And unfortunately, we've seen this time and time again. You and I have seen this how many times over the course of our careers? You've got power, money, and very few guardrails, very few police uh, that that are looking at the system, and greed takes over. And the cops that are looking at it don't really have a great understanding of what's really happening here, do they? No. Um, And that has changed over time. But when FTX first started and got, you know, became the $20 billion behemoth that it was, everyone was still starting to learn, right? Regulators across the world were still trying to understand what is this technology? What does it do? What does it mean? I mean, we're still trying to figure that out in some instances. Yeah, well, uh, well, one way to learn quickly is uh, to get burned in one of these Ponzi schemes, huh? Right. Yeah, very quickly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, when you don't know what you're investing in and you're trusting people, you don't even know who you're trusting. It's a it's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? It really is. And And one of the parallels that I try to make to help people who are outside of the world that you and I operate in understand this debacle is uh, Bernie Madoff. When, you know, here's a man who uh, was very well respected. Everyone knew his name and people just threw money at him left and right. And there was a very minimal few in the industry who took that deeper dive and decided to pull back the curtain. And when they did, it just didn't make sense to them and they decided not to move forward. So with SBF, he was a big presence in the crypto world, a 30-year-old billionaire, you know, a recluse, had a foot in fintech, had a foot in traditional finance, kind of understood everything. He was a great character to develop a narrative around. And unfortunately, very few people were pulling back that curtain and really understood that this was a house of cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what were some uh, red flags that uh, many of you out there obviously ignored? I mean, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't miss some of these myself. Um, so th- <laughs> the, when you get a rise to power as fast as he did, that in and of itself should have been a a warning to look further, right? Look closer. And being a compliance professional, you know, my job first and foremost is to protect the market, protect the safety and security of the American financial system, and truthfully, the people who participate in it, which includes you and me and all of your listeners. And part of this is um, in my organization, it's, it's on me to create all of these policies and procedures that keep us on the right side of the law and make sure that things are as fair and secure as they possibly can be in a free market. Now, one of the flags that I missed is I did not necessarily appreciate that not everyone is going to do the same job to the same level with the same level of dedication. And 
when you look at the people who were working at FTX and you look at their backgrounds and you look at maybe even just the years of experience that they had, uh, the people who were the decision makers in any other organization would have been first or second year analysts. That there was something that, you know, that even I missed. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that over the course of time, that's a lesson learned by the entire industry. Yeah, well, maybe so till the next fraud comes along. Uh, every new financial instrument seems to come along with a fraud, doesn't it? If it can feel that way sometimes. And then, but, okay, so let's let's kind of look at that from a different angle. You know, the people who are listening to your show obviously want, want to inform themselves and they want to, they want to know how to protect themselves. Um, this is, take the word crypto out of it. This is just another example in a long line of things that we've seen. So how do you protect yourself? Um, do some work and do some homework. Look at the individuals who run the company. Look at the backgrounds of these people. What's their value proposition? No, looking at a meme does not count as doing research. So, you know, it is incumbent upon ourselves to get educated. And if you don't understand what, what this cryptocurrency does or what makes it valuable, other than the fact that it's a meme stock or a, you know, it has value because other people seem to believe it does, it's probably a good idea to at least stay away from it for a little while until you can get that understanding. Yeah, well, but but you know, it also requires a certain base of knowledge that most of you out there don't have. So, does it come down to unless I hold it in my hand um and uh, unless the US government is guaranteeing it, then uh, I'm subject to any scammer that comes along? See, that's a very personal question. There are some people who maybe they're so risk averse that that is a good way for them to approach this. Um, you know, I use my uncle as an example. He's like a second dad to me. But, you know, he's in his late 70s and he still doesn't have a credit card. Why on earth would I need a credit card when I pay for everything in cash? And that's, you know, it works for him. And at the same token, whenever he wants to buy something off the internet, he's got to call me to use my credit card to do it. And then he mails me a check. I am not joking. This has happened more than once. So, you know, people need to look inward and understand their own financial situations, get educated. How much money am I willing to lose? How um, how risk averse am I? You know, am I going to put everything in a fixed income or stocks and bonds? And that's that, that's OK. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're 22 years old and you have a 40 year investment horizon, you know, maybe it's appropriate to take a little bit more risk and maybe it's appropriate to try to sit down and actually figure this out. But, you know, like anything else, it's a very it's a very personal decision. But these are questions that I, I encourage people to ask. And I try to do a lot of what you do, which is investor education. Yeah. Well, one thing I've learned uh, is that you can never be educated enough. And there's a little bit of a luck factor involved, too. But one of the things, look, strong agree, two emotions on Wall Street, right? Fear and greed. And it seems to me that uh, that the crux of all these frauds always start with greed and not necessarily the greed of the promoter, but the gr the greed of the so-called duped investor. Oh, man, 
I mean, you could talk about any. Oh, so there the Zell fraud or the um, you know there there are frauds out there that what they try to do is create urgency. And there was a program out of uh, London, England with the FCA that I love. Uh, and I tout this everywhere. It's called Take Five. And whenever you feel those emotions running very high, just realize something. You're being manipulated. You may not necessarily be me. You might be manipulated by your own self, right? It might not be external forces, but you are being manipulated. Take five minutes, take a breath, walk away from it. And I promise you, if it's if it's an emergency or if it's something that absolutely has that level of urgency, it's still going to be important in five minutes. But if it doesn't, it gives your brain that chance to catch up and start to ask the questions that they don't want you to ask, because once you start putting the pieces together, they don't fit. So now crypto, I don't think it's a fair statement to say that the entire crypto ecosystem fits into this category. This just happens to be a very public, very large example of why we need to get some guardrails around this technology, this industry, and do it in a way that is going to protect us moving forward. All right. So, you know, like, I like what you said, as an attorney, and you and I both tend to use an analytical approach to things. We still might act on our emotions, but it's that logical ability to break down statements and search for inconsistencies. And that's whether you're uh, talking to a potential mate, uh, whether you're going to do business with somebody, get hired by them, or you're going to make an investment. Really, you should be uh, you should be using the same systematic approach in all areas of your life, right? Don't just survive. The Financial Survival Network. Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie backed gold exploration company in mining friendly Namibia. Osino's district scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has an excellent shareholder base with Ross Beattie owning 20%, Insiders 5%, and Resource Capital Funds 8%. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. Osino trades in New York under the ticker OSIIF and in Toronto under the ticker OSI. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. That's OsinoResources.com. This is the Financial Survival Network, the information you need to thrive now more than ever. I mean, I would highly advocate for that. And that's the way my parents taught me, right? You know, skepticism is not a bad thing. Now, finding that balance for you personally of where, you know, you don't want to be so skeptical that you're afraid to do anything. And you don't want to be um, so open to everything that you get taken advantage of consistently. So, you know, sometimes it really is just giving yourself some time to assimilate the information, to, to sit back. And think about like, okay, do I have this to lose? Is this is this good for me in my position? And you know, that's like there's an entire world out there of financial advisors dedicated to help you do this. And it's it's not a bad thing to talk to them. Like, you know, they're they're not hard to find. So what about these NFTs? 
All right. It just seemed to me that to have the rights to somebody's song that you don't even have the rights to their artwork, you don't even have the right to sell it. You just have the right to hold it. Seems to be an, the ultimate scam, isn't it? <laughs> so, so this is where you and I make make your listeners laugh uncontrollably. Um, uh, I'm a lawyer. I am a former regulator. I I know probably far more about the inner workings of the financial system than most people should. And I've also mm-hmm. been in the crypto world for the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. I don't understand NFTs. I don't get them. Uh-uh. I don't like it. it Back to like school for you. Back to school yeah, but for it, you. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I've got some of the most brilliant engineers on the planet that used to work for Google, Apple, Microsoft that wor- work alongside me. And they have sat me down and tried to explain, like, this is the value proposition. This is where the technology is going. And I still look at them like, I don't get it. And, you know, there's going to come a time where people like me catch up and we understand, okay, this is not, this is not technology that's in search of a problem. Um, it actually is solving a need, but until they get to a point where it is user friendly enough, where it is um, where it is able to be, where the story can be told, that the average person is able to understand it, I, I don't see how this technology takes off. Yet there's so many, there's so much money investment and intelligent people in that space that it really is only a question of when they get there, not how. Mm-hmm. All right, so I get it. I get it as not as an investable entity in and of itself. Because look, if I take a picture of my shoes that I'm about to throw out in the garbage and I make it an NFT, that thing can't have value. However, if uh, I own, let's say, a multifamily housing uh, property and that title or my ownership interest is evidenced by an NFT, then that NFT might have value. And probably is a better way than what we have now for keeping track of ownership of properties, of IP, of so many things. Probably works good. It's just an outgrowth of the blockchain. But just because it's a new shiny NFT in and of itself does not give that thing value, does it? No. And so, and I imagine that there are a ton of people that have had similar debates in the art world over time, right? I mean, if you had told someone in the 60s that a that a painting of a soup can was going to be worth, you know, $50 million or, um, you know, Andy Warhol's painting of Marilyn Monroe, which isn't particularly like, you know, my two-year-old could do something similar with a, with a computer nowadays, but it, it sold for $195 million. So there's always going to be a world where things have value because people choose to believe it, they do. So, you know, the skeptical part of me would stop me from necessarily investing in certain aspects of this industry, yet experience has taught me never say never. Yeah. Well, hey, so there is like a um, a fund uh, crypto that's uh, backed by uh, artwork. Uh, Do you think if they were to go register with the SEC tomorrow, David? That uh, that they would pass muster. <laughs> that that's an area which I I wish I could tell you that answer. Um, Gary Gensler, the the uh, chairman of the SEC, had mentioned of the eight thousand plus cryptocurrencies out there. It's his belief 
that the vast majority, if not almost all of them, are securities. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, that takes a knowledge of how to something called the Howey test and a number of other different factors. But that takes an, an expert knowledge that, I mean, maybe only a couple of thousand people actually have. So, you know, for us, part of asking for clarity, part of making sure that stuff like this doesn't happen again, or at least not in this way, is getting that clarity of regulation, getting a better understanding of what is and is not permissible. You know, in my mind, if only a few out of 8,000 are not securities, then the most valuable data point for somebody like me is, okay, which ones? You tell me which ones aren't, and then we know where that barometer is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it, we're in it. Part of why we're seeing a lot of people harmed is we have a lot of clarity needed in this country in particular. And because, because people don't know what to do, a lot of these companies are being pushed offshore where they have zero oversight and zero regulation. And the more that keeps happening, the more at risk we find ourselves. Right. And because they're so easy to offshore, you can offshore one and then sell it anywhere in the world. There's nothing to stop it. The government can't do anything about it or has chosen not to. I don't know that they could, even if they wanted to. Uh, It seems like a big mess. There's a reason I call uh, cryptocurrencies cleptocurrencies. Because you know, most of them are fraudulent, let's face it. And so that's where, let's put a different spin on this for a second, because I think it's very easy in times like this to point fingers to bad actors and, and say, see, I told you so. And you're right. And we should be doing that because that's going to generate change. But let's also not lose sight of the fact that this is a leadership moment for those people in the industry to educate the public to educate lawmakers, to educate the regulators, that there are a lot of good potential projects out there that are based on blockchain technology that are trying to do it the right thing. And, you know, like, I'll give you a perfect parallel to what we're talking about today. Um, Coinbase is a U.S. exchange, and they have tried to do things right from day one. They really, really have, in my opinion. And they have... Uh, worked with regulators. They've worked with the New York State Department of Financial Services, uh, who is particularly onerous in this area for a reason, right? Now, you compare them with a, another exchange like Binance, and Binance is 10, 20 orders of magnitude larger than Coinbase. Why? Because they oper- operate in unregulated areas. So if we want to maintain some competitive advantage in this country and maintain a competitive advantage in the financial system, the likes of which what we all, like, which we enjoy today, one of the things we are going to have to do is find a way to balance um, keeping companies here, keeping production here, keeping innovation here, but also protect Americans. And part of that's going to be understanding what are the projects trying to do it right? And what are the projects that are moving offshore because they don't want to deal with it? All right. So one final topic here. Want to get your feedback on it. Uh, Central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. Uh, We're in the midst of a trial run in the United States. 
uh, it seems to me that the potential for abuse and who would imagine that uh, our top law enforcement uh, agencies being accused of corruption right and left, is this something we really want to undertake? Yes, it is. Uh, and I am, I am as equally skeptical about this as many others on, on both sides of the hill. By the way, this is not a partisan issue. There are Democrats and Republicans who are for this. There are Democrats and Republicans who are against this. Um, my, my biggest concern is if we don't start to look at it and understand it at a very minimum, then we get left behind. So there are currently, I think by last count, 115 countries looking at a similar type of offering, of which 50 companies are ahead of us. They're in advanced stage, uh, 50 companies, 50 countries are ahead of us. They're in advanced stages. And of the G7, the UK and the US are actually in last. The UK just elected a new prime minister who is very pro-crypto and is probably going to be looking to address that. So it's not necessarily a question of, do we approach this with the same level of skepticism that you and I have been talking about? It's, can we afford to ignore it while other countries continue to pursue it. And in my opinion, that's a recipe for disaster far greater than anything else. All right. I, I think I can agree with that. But uh, you got to remain, you got to retain your skepticism. Anything that the government does uh, can inevitably and will inevitably be turned against the citizenry and uh, with, uh, with bad results to follow. Uh, all right. Well, I think we've covered a lot here probably more than most people wanted to hear about crypto. But uh, hey, I think you and I should uh, set up a coin. We will call it the uh, caveat emptor coin. And, uh, you know, its uh, logo will be a tulip. And I think we could do well at this, David. <laughs> I guess we just have to make sure that it's in, re in the right season. But uh, Carrie, if I could leave your listeners with one, one little bit of hope, um, there are people like me who come from traditional finance who who know how to do this and who know how to protect the marketplace. And we are working incredibly hard to ensure that as this industry develops, it develops in the right way and people are as protected as they can be. So please don't think there aren't those of us out there who are trying to look out for your benefit because we are. We're very good at our jobs. And as time goes on, I, I think we are going to come out on the right side of this. All right. So uh, I don't know if I'd buy an NFT from you or not, David, but uh, but I do appreciate your coming on and going over these important issues with us. If you've got a question for David, shoot me an email, kl at kerrylutz.com. Uh, David, where do we find you? Where is the best place to uh, find out about you, your work, what you're doing? So the company is called MobileCoin, which is a payments company. We are trying to create the international Venmo or the international cash app. So you could find us on mobilecoin.com. And uh, if anyone has any questions or wants to connect with me directly, you could find me on LinkedIn. All right. Excellent. Appreciate that. We'll talk to you again real soon. Uh, make sure uh, you go to the site, financialsurvivalnetwork.com. A link to David's company will be in the show notes. And while you're there, sign up for your free newsletter. David, appreciate you coming on. We'll talk to you again real soon. Sounds great, Kerry. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to Kerry Lutz's Financial Survival Network, your solution to today's trying times. 
For the latest, go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. Financial Survival Network, now more than ever. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.